Welcome back to the Zero to Here podcast. I am your host, Danny Dumas. Producer Carl is here wearing the most plain shirt I've ever seen him wear, actually. What's up, Carl? How's it going, Danny? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, tonight, our guest might as well go straight into his intro. Uh, partner at Cahill Chartered Professional Accountants. Yep. And all my listeners right now are going... Ah, shit. Why the hell is he having an accountant on this show? It's going to be super (laughs) boring. But the goal of tonight's show is to prove the quote that all accountants are boring wrong. So there's a lot of pressure on you tonight. There's a lot of pressure on you tonight, Jordan. You're speaking for an entire industry. (laughs) Yeah, wow. You have to show the The weight of the world is on my shoulders now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You have to show the uh, personality. Um, There's a few other things that I want to get into a little bit tonight. Um... I know that your website is really good on Google, so I want to talk to you about putting effort into that. For sure. Uh, and I know that your socials got a lot better in the last uh, year-ish, maybe? Yeah. So just chatting a little Maybe bit about that as well. Um, let's get to know you a little bit. I always ask my guests to describe themselves in three words. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so Should I have done on. some homework or what? <laughs> <laughs> That's better when it is natural. What three words would you use to describe your personality, who you are, where you came from, whatever it may be? Um, I think, I don't know, maybe the first to, to be a uh, cliche is like uh, perseverance, you know? Like it? Yeah. I mean, you got to, I think it takes a lot to kind of, you know, push through and, and, and have confidence in yourself, put yourself out there, you know, as a business owner a lot. So um, you have to be willing to you know, try hard and put yourself out there and, uh, just, you know, take failures with a grain of salt kind of, or take it as a learning lesson. I know you talk a lot about failures sometimes, um, as a, you know, a self-employed individual, I think you have to be, um, in a certain headspace to be able to, you know, frame those in a, in a positive way and use it for energy to kind of push forward. For sure. And, uh, not even, you know, that that's kind of a theme in my life, like even going back before, um, before I was self-employed, you know, I feel like, even going through school, like, like university and everything, like I, I struggled a lot, you know, I, you know, you see people around you that are really smart and it seems easy to them. Um, I feel like, you know, I had to kind of push through and make my own way a little bit. Um, yeah. What else? That was one perseverance. Oh, that was Which one. I like. That was a good one. Yeah. Um, I think kind of like laid back. I don't know. That's two words I know, but, uh, that's fine. Chill. Chill. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I try to take sort of um, sort of a laid back approach, to, you know, professional but laid back, like, like approachable, I guess. Um, I find that works well. You know, a lot of my clients are sort of like, uh, or a lot of my favorite clients, I'd say, are, are, are more blue collar guys that are, you know, in business. Maybe they don't have the business acumen or the accounting knowledge that they feel like they need to run a business, but they look to me to fill that gap. And I feel like I can be relatable to that kind of person. I can relate to that because I... Originally, I don't know if you knew this. Originally, going to university, I I thought I was going to be an accountant. Oh, really? Yeah. So, not that I did very high level accounting courses, but I did first and second year of accounting courses, maybe. So, I did like cost accounting and like some things that Ooh, most people cost have accounting. no idea about. Beauty. And I did fairly well in them. So, I have a very baseline knowledge of accounting, but still, like going through the actual process of filing business taxes and like write-offs and like everything that you could go into it it's so over my head so i i can only imagine like 
a really blue collar like trades person that has zero math accounting knowledge trying to put all of this stuff together <laughs> or even I, trying to explain it to them i feel like i have good skills in a way of like being able to explain things in a way that you know or interpret what they can understand and explain it to that level kind yeah, of yeah. um because it's different like depending on your client that you have i mean like i, I deal with you know, some engineers and I go, they want to see it in a very different way than like my plumber client wants to see it, but they both have businesses and they both have the same, you know, like the tax planning is probably the same in both scenarios, but you know, maybe the presentation and, and the delivery is a bit different. So that's one of the yeah. biggest things that I, so now that we have a, we're growing as a real estate team, we have, uh, myself my partner and four other realtors. That's one of the biggest things that I stress with the other realtors on our team is one of the most key things to being successful in a sales role is being adaptable. You have to be able to figure out how people understand information and provide your knowledge in that way. Yeah. So exactly. like for me in real estate, it's every buyer is completely different. Some want you to just literally give you, give them your opinion. Say, do you like this place? Is it worth this list price? Whatever. Others want to see sales from the last two years and they want a breakdown of price per square foot and they want to see right. what else is sold in the building. See the details. Just tons and tons of numbers. So you have to be able to read people. Adaptability is what I call it. And provide the knowledge and information and expertise that you have in the way that makes sense to this person. And that's basically yeah. exactly what you just yeah. said. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's sort of a, a skill you learn over time too. And it, it, mm -hmm. it is a bit of a trial and error. I mean, sometimes... I don't know. I can think of like my younger self going into meetings and thinking like, Oh, I got this nailed, you know, I'm going to talk about this and that. And then you look over part way through the meeting and the person you can tell is just going straight over their head and you're like, okay, you know, what am I doing wrong here? You have to kind of think back and you maybe reframe what you're explaining to them or look at where they're coming from and, and, and put it in a way that they're going to understand and, you know, walk away feeling, okay, I, I, maybe I don't get all of it, but I feel like I'm in good hands here. And I know, you know, the points that I needed to take away, you know, I got those right. Yeah. And some people, they're hiring you for a reason. And so I remember a listing appointment I was in recently that start going through an evaluation. So we're talking a bit about ourselves, what we do marketing wise. Then you start going through an evaluation and you're showing them what's sold and you can see they're not paying, like they're losing interest. And so I can see that. Isn't this. it funny how you can tell when that oh, happens? It's so like easy you see them in their eyes, they're like, you're just, you're somewhere else. Totally. Right. And so I, it's the I worst feeling stop. in a meeting. I, I think I showed them one other sale in their building and I stop and I'm like, you just want me to tell you what I think. And they're like, yeah, that's why we're hiring you. Cause, because we know that you know more than me. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I think it's worth X. And they're like, okay, perfect. Let's listen to that. <laughs> so yeah, everyone's just different, but adaptability in, in any business sales role, I think is so important. Yeah, for sure. Uh, perseverance. I talk a lot about it. You mentioned it in a way of using negatives to learn, move forward. Where does that come from? Did that start like as a kid for you? Was it, th I know you played a lot of sports growing up. Was it through sport that you learned that? I think, because I think it's a, little a, bit. it's a really yeah. rare thing. I think I think definitely a little bit in sports. Like I've played hockey since I was like four years old, and yeah. <laughs> I think back and you know, in the car ride home, you get your dad talking to you like, "Here, you got to do this better. You got to do that." <laughs> right? And it's like, you know, maybe it starts there a little bit for sure. Um, I play a little bit of basketball as well, not not to your degree, uh, but uh, you know, yeah, I, I think you know, in, in sports. It's it's a lot quicker of a turnaround too because there's mistakes, especially hockey, right? Like you go, 
every shift is different. There's mistakes you make. There's, there's good things you do and it's, it's really quick and you can learn from that. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe it is rooted in that. I think a little bit. Um, I think partly, I mean, like I, I'm an oldest sibling of a, you know, a larger family. I got three younger brothers. I think part of it's from that where, you know, you, you're, you're always kind of going into the unknown a little bit, like from the beginning, you're, you're the first person to do it in your family a bit. Um, I go back to school kind of, I feel like, you know, I struggled through that a lot and I'm glad I got through it, but it was, it was tough. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Interesting that you say you struggled in school. I didn't, I, I'm hard on myself. I say I struggled. Like I was, I was a solid B student. Let's be honest here. I wasn't very few A's, very few C's. I was a very, very average student. And you know, we're talking about university here, but, um, I, I think the standards are pretty high these days. And I don't think getting straight A's is necessarily the most important thing to, you know, equate being successful in business. Um, maybe it's in some areas, maybe it is really important. I think, you know, like, again, going back to engineers or, you know, people in the sciences, I think, you know, intelligence there is very powerful and it's a different type of industry. But uh, being a good business person, I know people that like, you know, never went to university that are like amazing business people because they have that acumen that, uh, you know, they're good salespeople or they're, you know, they're good at something, right? Some of the, well, well, some of the wealthiest people I know and who have run really successful businesses didn't go to university. I just I can think it's such, it's such a, like a philosophical knowledge that university teaches you. It's like read and reiterate this material. I, I feel like Whereas there's no, it, it's very little practicality. It was my experience of university. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, you, you walk out as a grad and you feel like you don't know anything more than when you walk out of high school. <laughs> really? Like, except you're a lot, you, you spent a lot of money, right? <laughs> except you have, yeah, you have a sweet piece alone. of paper now that says yeah. this, this person is able to learn Yeah, basically is what a degree yeah, says. And I mean, I, I think, you know, that has a certain merit, you know, like when I look for employees now, it's a nice, you know, you do look for a degree because it is just ability to learn. doesn't matter what it is. If it's mm -hmm. a philosophy degree or whatever, you go, Hey, you know, you've, you've committed to something you started, you finished like that's, that's good. Not the be all end all though. Um, I agree though. Like, I mean, I, I know a lot of clients that, you know, some of my most successful clients, I would say probably don't have a, a university education, but they're, you know, self-taught and, and they have some sort of motivation to, to push forward. And, um, you know, maybe they had a really good idea and just stuck with it. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and didn't give up until it was successful. I learned, like I've said this before, but I, I, I learned so much more bartending at my dad's bars for five years than I did in like 18 years of schooling. And it was just like a practical knowledge that you learn. You learn one, how to be adaptable because you have an electrician sitting beside a lawyer, sitting beside a stay at home mom, sitting beside like whoever. So you have the way that you communicate to people has to be different based on who they are. Yeah. And you deal with a lot of shit at, at bars. And I also had a pretty cool opportunity in terms of like running being seeing the back end side of a business and doing doing all the numbers and doing deposits and like scheduling and so like being in a leadership role as well which is very useful in terms of real life running a business which doesn't really you can't really teach that stuff in school or it's hard to teach when you're sitting in a classroom no i think there's two components i mean i think in some ways you either have it or you don't to some degree 
And then you have to learn. It's kind of trial by fire. You have to throw people in there and just see how they do and see what comes out of it. I mean, some people don't learn well like that, but I feel like the people that are really good in business, they will learn that way. Like they might fail a couple times, and but if they're going to, you know, if you want them to be really good, you have to put them in there and they have to be vulnerable. They have to make mistakes and learn from it. And then they grow from that. And I know myself, that's how, that's how I got, you know, that's, that's how I grew. I think the most, I think back to even when I worked downtown at like, uh, you know, one of the accounting firms there, like there's so many times where you're in a position where you go, there's no way we're getting out of this. Like, you know, we're working and it's like two in the morning and it's a nightmare. And you're like, this is, we're never going to get through this. It's a disaster. You always somehow get through it. And then when you get through it, you go, okay, when this happens again, I'll remember <laughs> this thing. You never really remember that though. Cause it'll happen again. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is happening again. Like, how are we going to get through it? But you always learn something from those experiences, from those kind of like crisis situations, or maybe a mistake happened or some sort of like, you know, failure. You always do learn from that and you grow from it. So I think you have to, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. Kind of, it's like, if you go learn to ski, if you're not falling over, you're probably not trying hard enough. And you're not going to learn how to like be good at it. Right. I always say like goals, goals for me are not really necessarily meant to be reached. They're just to set this ridiculous high standard that makes me try every day. And so I don't get there. And then I'm like, this is a bit like, of a failure, but I learn. I like uh, what your last guest said. So Scotty was on yeah, and he said, he's like, you know, if you reach a goal, it's you failed to set a high enough goal. <laughs> and if you don't reach it, then yeah. you failed as well. So it's like, yeah. no matter what you're failing, like that was an interesting uh, comment. Cause I kind of feel like that's myself too. I'm, you know, my, my worst critic sometimes where, you know, you get these feelings of like, Oh, like how am I ever going to do this? And then um, you have to just kind of, I don't know. You have to get through that, but it's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse because it motivates you too. Right? Like if you don't have that in you, you can just sit back and go, well, Okay, I got it pretty good. I guess I just won't try anymore, you know? But I don't like that. That's not a, that's not a good standard, you know? I learned pretty early, and I think it was through sport, that uh, the losses and the failures mean a lot more to me than winning. And so I think it's a rare thing, and I know Scotty, was talking, Scotty made that comment, which was pretty cool. Um, but I think that's the reason I like setting ridiculous goals, is that, one, they're really long-term. So... If I was ever to achieve them, it's going to be when I'm 50, 60 years old, not 30. And so how do you think that far ahead? (laughs) I don't know. It's, it's always, it's, it's like when you're 60. No, I just have have a goal, but you might not hit it till then. They're just ridiculous goals. Okay. So there's like no chance I'm going to reach them tomorrow or in a year from now because they're crazy. Like the podcast, I want to get 10,000 views an episode. A goal. That's a goal. Not even close to that. What are we at now? four to 500 an episode. So we're pretty far off. <laughs> yeah. But you're Just on, a, you're, you're on a track, right? Exactly. But it keeps me motivated. Like this year, the goal for the podcast is to do a hundred, which is a realistic goal, but the long-term big goal is 10,000 10, views an episode. Cool. So we're laying groundwork here. hundred percent. I'm super excited to be here by the way. hundred this year. I didn't get to say that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming, man. Um, I don't know if we've ever had a real in-depth conversation. It's always been like accounting and business and well, I guess we've had a couple beers with Steve. We have. Yeah. Steve. <laughs> Steve. I always come away from meetings with you, like just feeling like really relaxed and good. I don't know what it is. It's interesting. The I last year like, meeting we had, I don't think we talked anything about accounting. We just talked about like 
social media marketing. It was like five minutes. You're like, here's your thing. Here's your numbers. Yeah, and then, then we talked. Like, then we went for a coffee, and it was like yeah. an hour later. It was like, I was like, I hope he knows how much tax he needs to pay. Like, I don't know if we even <laughs> talked about that to be honest. <laughs> no, well, Vanit sends me an email, and it just yeah. says clearly, my corporation knows this, then yeah. knows this, whatever. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. I don't even need to meet you. I don't think. But I'd like to go for coffee with you. Yeah. I always enjoyed it. So. I forgot about that. And we talked a lot about social media that. Yeah, we did. Didn't we? Yeah, that was. I think that was when you were first getting going, like on your mm-hmm. journey that you're in now. You know what I mean? Like, like just changing gears. Totally. I yeah. think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're going to get into social media. I want to know. Well, were you just like born and bred to be an accountant? I want to know Me? that. Because your dad. Oh, man. Your dad's been an accountant for ever. As yeah, long as you he were. got he got his CGA in nineteen ninety two. Okay. So just after you were born, a few years after. Yeah. And was it like a goal from the beginning? It's weird. I mean, like, I've been exposed to the industry since obviously a young age. Sure. And, you know, when I was growing up, I worked at my dad's office from time to time, like just doing paperwork, whatever, shredding different things. And, you know, <laughs> when you're in grade seven trying to, you know, <laughs> earn $5 an hour kind of thing. And yeah. I think, okay, come in on the weekend. I got to go in. Right. Um, I did that too, I, but with my dad in the pubs. Yeah. So I'd go in with him at like 6am and do cash, basically like counting yeah. money from the night before. Right. And like counting pull tabs and stuff like that. And it would be like two hours and I'd make $11 or something. And but I it was awesome, it was right? Sweet. Yeah. And then he would have to do like some other office work. So he's like, just go play pool because <laughs> there's pool nice. tables in the bar. So I just like go play pool by myself. When but I was like, I used to say, just go play with the photocopier. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you were that guy that started photocopying your ass, weren't you? No, but I put my, <laughs> no, no, I didn't do that. Let's be clear. I, I did one time, I, I photocopied like a, like a $5 bill that I somehow like superimposed my face onto it <laughs> and I photocopied that. That was kind of cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah it doesn't okay. sound as exciting as playing pool though. No. <laughs> I got pretty good at pool when I was a kid, actually, because I was there like four or five days a week in the summer anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when did you decide accounting was your thing? You know what? I rebelled against it for a while. Did you? Um, yeah, I think, you know, in the back of my mind, I always knew like accounting was a good groundwork for business. And I knew I wanted to go into business of some sort, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I don't know, you if you graduate high school and you're like, what am I going to do with my life? Nobody really knows. Right. Um, I knew my dad was, you know, successful with his accounting business and I kind of was like somewhat interested in that, but I wanted to explore different areas and, um, yeah, I kind of rebelled against it and like, I didn't really go into accounting in school right away. I slowly kind of moved that way. And mostly it was just sort of like a backup, like, well, if I don't know what I'm doing, I think it's a good groundwork. Like if I know accounting, I can probably figure out other businesses and be successful in that. It'd be nice to be able to understand the numbers a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then as I went on, I was like, still not really knowing what I was doing. So just, you know, connected with people. And this is actually, this is a point I wanted to make, like, like university, one of the best parts that I found about it was just the people you meet and the connections you make. Like really, that's what my experience was where, um, there's a bunch of guys going, like really wanting to go into the accounting program, going hard. And I kind of connected with this group and that's how I got my job downtown at Deloitte. Like, you know, these guys were we're going to these interviews and all that. So I kind of just tagged along with them and, and, and went along with that process. And I just pushed it as far as I could kind of like, you know, if I wanted to do accounting, I wanted to do the CA route. Cause back then it was, it was, you know, the three different kind of designations they had here. Yeah. Um, so the CA was sort of like the more prestigious one, quote unquote. So wanted to go down that way. Um, and just 
kind of saw it out. I, kept, I was like, well, I'll go and, and do the best I can. And if I fail at some point, I'll maybe change gears, but I'll just keep going. And, and if I don't fail, I'll, I'll go this way. So ended up getting a, <clears throat> a job at Deloitte uh, out of university, um, kind of grounded out doing, uh, you know, audits and all that kind of stuff downtown, working long hours, the, the typical kind of uh, thing there. But That sounds exciting. It was super exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? It was... Well, let's let's step back a little bit actually before because there's 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 more to the story. I mean, um, before I did that, I actually I, I did a stint at the government a little bit, like working at CRA for the dark side. That sounds even more exciting. That was, yeah, exciting. It's not a, not the word to describe that. Um, but again, that was that was through school. That was like a, a co-op position. Mm-hmm. Edit that out. <sighs> Sorry. No, um, so yeah, that was a, like a co-op position that was, you know, through, through the school kind of like, Hey, you know, be a, be an auditor. And, uh, that was, that was an interesting experience working <laughs> for the government, to be honest. Like I was excited because it was like, you get to see the inside. And I'm like, at the end of the day, I knew I probably didn't want to work there forever. Cause I was like more of an entrepreneurial type guy, but I'm like, I want to like, see what it's like on that side. And, um, I worked there for about three years, like on and off, um, you know, some full-time, some part-time throughout school. And, uh, it was just really interesting to see how like that works and how slow everybody is there. And like, <laughs> it, it, it's like all the cliches. It's really, really strange working for the government, you know, but it was cool. Like learning the inside scoop and like what they look for. Like I was auditing people's taxes. I was like a second year university student. Like, let's be honest. I didn't really know what I was doing. Like, <laughs> I'm going to sound like Steve here. Steve might've used different words. Actually. I think he said he didn't, didn't know shit, but I kind of didn't. And I'm like, you know, I, like, I would be like, okay, yeah, here's this guy, Denny Duma, oh, this realtor. Oh, he doesn't know what he's doing here. Look at this tax return. I don't even know going through there, auditing expenses, asking you for receipts as if I knew what I was doing. Right. But, uh, no, you know what? It was interesting. You, they, they put you through some pretty good training there. And um, it was really cool to get the inside scoop when I was there. But definitely was kind of happy to leave when I did. You say you always felt you were more entrepreneurial than working for big corporation for the government. When did you decide that that was something you wanted to pursue? Um, and at the same time, like how did, how did Cahill begin, I guess? <clears throat> okay, yeah, two... Two big questions there. Um, It's tough to know exactly when that happened. I mean, like, again, like my dad being an accountant for a long time, he was, you know, probably at the like sort of partner ownership level since I was pretty young, you know, in in various different roles in different companies. And, you know, I I saw, I think he instilled those values in me of like, you know, there's a certain um, benefit that comes as being the owner. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make more money. It means like you're going to, you know, you have flexibility. You can kind of make it what you want. And I think that was very attractive to me. So I think probably from a young age, I probably knew I wanted that, but it's hard to know, you know, even like in high school, again, like you don't really know what you want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it was, it was somewhere in the back of my mind for, for quite a long time since I was it's probably my um, story too. And yeah, cause your dad, like, I mean, it sounds like your stories are similar that way where like, if you grew up in that environment where like, you know, you have somebody in your family who's self-employed, I think you see the benefits of that, but you also see the challenges and there's, there's two sides of it. Right. 
Um, a lot of times people from the outside might look in and go, Oh my gosh, wouldn't that be great? Like you run your own business. Isn't that so amazing? Like, yes, there are very, there's many very good things about it, but there's also a lot of unique challenges that you run into that you have to be prepared to face that I think a lot of people don't realize. And if they get put in that position, they might not be comfortable with it. I just kind of put this together in my mind right now. I like situations where I'm in control. And not that that means I want to be like an obnoxious leader or like dictator, but more I want the success of my business, my life to be based on my decisions. And if something goes wrong, it's something that I didn't do. And so I felt like I had a five month stint at a bank and I felt like no matter what happened, if I showed up or not, it literally didn't matter. Like I was worthless basically. And so I I learned that from a young age, probably watching my dad, but probably through sport as well. That like my success in sports based solely was based solely on how hard I worked. It didn't matter if, if someone else was better on me on the team, that didn't matter. But if I was lazy, I looked bad. And same thing through business for, from watching my dad. But I like situations that I'm in control. And so I, I always knew I wanted to work for myself because I could control the effort that was put in to try to achieve an right. outcome. And yeah. if, Whereas like you're an employee at a bank is sort of like, here's your list of duties. Exactly. Go about your day. If you're yeah. not here, we'll get someone else to do this kind of thing. Pay this woman's yeah. hydro bill. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the worst. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah I you can, can do this online, right? She's like, oh no, I just have so much fun coming into the bank. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Some banks charge for that now, hey? <laughs> Extra. Do they? Yeah, I think so. I've never gone to a bank to pay a bill, so I have no, no idea. Neither have I. <laughs> uh, okay, so Cahill, how did that start? Yeah. Because so, your dad's been in the business for a long time has, at this yeah, point. He has, yeah. So, um, But he's never kind of branched off and started his own firm. Well, no, no. So he was um, he was involved with a partnership for, um, you know. So Cahill started officially like January 1st, 2013, basically. Okay. And before that, my dad was part of a partnership um, in, in Port Moody area. Um, him and another guy. And they were doing that for about 10 years. So he was, he was a partner there. And... Um, I had just kind of finished working downtown and I was like kind of ready to make the jump. You know, I decided I wanted to work for some, you know, smaller companies, probably like owner managed business. When I was working downtown, I was doing mostly like, um, you know, big public companies for the most part, like auditing. And it was interesting in its own regard because you get to go into these big companies and kind of like open their books and, you know, see things that you probably wouldn't see until you're at the executive level at these big companies. Yeah. But it, I don't know. I, I learned a lot doing that, but I felt like it wasn't as personal and you're kind of in the back end and you're like, you're also like the auditor. So like you're kind of the enemy a little bit, like you're not really helping people <laughs> yeah. like you are, but you aren't, you know, it's not, not as bad as being an auditor at CRA where you're literally <laughs> like ruining people's day <laughs> days. But, um, I decided, yeah, I wanted to, you know, help out kind of owner managed businesses and, you know, contribute kind of more to that side of things. And, um, you know, my dad was ready to kind of split with this other guy. He's, you know, he, he said, you know, it's time to kind of, you know, do something different maybe and approached me and said, why don't we like open a family practice? And, you know, I thought that was a great idea. And, uh, you know, something came, a practice came for sale in North Vancouver. So small practice, guy was uh he was there for a couple of years and he was moving back east because he had he'd got married i guess and his 
his new wife lived in Ontario. So he wanted to move over there and he's like, I have these clients here. I want to sell this client list. So, you know, we had never purchased a client list before, but we decided, well, you know, my dad had a certain number of clients kind of under his belt because he'd been doing it for long enough. Um, you know, I had a, a few clients that kind of worked with on the side, but you know, since I was working a full-time job downtown, wasn't really fully on my own at that point. And I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to, you know, let, let's try this out. Why don't we buy this practice, kind of combine efforts and, and see how it works. How do you, how do you value a client list? How do you value it? Because <laughs> it probably wouldn't be the same as real estate, but relating it to other businesses, you can buy a, a, a number of clients. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantee they're staying with you. There's no guarantee. Like literally all you're buying is like an oppor- the opportunity. An introduction, basically. Yeah, yeah, an opportunity yeah. to sit in a meeting with somebody that you know needs a new accountant because the guy <laughs> left and you saw him leave. Like, you know, so and you just so happen to have their files. So yeah. it's kind of like you have a bit of an advantage over like other guys, but not much really, let's be honest. Um, so um yeah that was a big learning experience but like honestly it was super successful like we had like close to 100 percent retention in that first deal which is amazing close to 100 like that's got to be like well, insane i mean like not normal i mean if you want to be like it was actually 110 percent retention because in the first year we did more business just out of that guy's book than what he sold us like we got referrals from the other people basically because they were like, Oh, this is great. And, and it just, it just really worked out really well. It was, it was like the right place, right time, I think kind of deal. How did you value it? So typically like his gross revenue for that year. Or what? Yeah. Yeah. So with accounting practices, typically like the, the measure of value is sort of like based on gross billings Okay. and it goes anywhere from like, I don't know, like 75 cents on the dollar to like, it can go up to $2 kind of value, but it just depends on like what type of clients they are. And like two would be super high actually, but it depends on how they're set up and how, you know, guaranteed you are to kind of transition that client, I guess, um, what kind of work they've done. Is it recurring work? So usually you only pay for recurring work, like, you know, like a year end, like a corporate year end. They're going to come in every year and do the same type of work, um, generally at the same price kind of thing, which is one nice thing. I mean, like the, the nice thing about the accounting industry is it's like it's pretty conservative, like whether the economy is doing good or bad, people need to file their taxes kind of. And like either people are making a lot of money and need some advice or they're going bankrupt and they need some advice. So, yeah. you know, like it's, it's, it's kind of nice that way versus like real estate, very good in terms of like if the economy is doing really well, things are great. When they're not as good, you do see a bit of a downtick. Your clients, even if they're repeat clients, they're not buying a house every year. Maybe some of them are, but not all of them, right? For sure. Um, so it's a little bit harder to build that list. But I mean, once you do, it's great. Um, so... Yeah, you know, so you, you kind of value it at, at, at a dollar is usually like the kind of the mean. So I think in that first deal, we, we, I can't remember we paid them. It was like 90 cents in the dollar kind of thing, right? Somewhere around that, that range. Okay. Um, and we had never done a deal like that. So it was kind of like new territory to us, but we were confident in our abilities to kind of deliver a certain product. And um, people were generally receptive. It was just, they liked our style and, um, it was interesting because we didn't live in North Vancouver at the time. I had only been there for like hockey tournaments pretty much. Like I, I grew up, I grew up in Coquitlam, right? Like North Van's a long way from Coquitlam kind of, right? Like it's across a bridge. It's, you know, it's a half an hour drive, right? Did you, uh, did you open an office in North Van right away? So yeah. So the, the, the guy we took over from had a lease. So we took okay. over his lease because I feel like it's kind of important to do that where, you know, there's, there's, you have your corporate clients and you have your personal clients and like during tax time, People were kind of like expecting to arrive at a certain office. So we had a lot of people that like 
almost didn't know that things had changed over. They just show up and like, oh, there's new people here. Okay, here, you can do taxes. This is great, right? Um, so it wasn't like a name change at that point or anything? Um, yeah, so I mean, we, we, it was like, you know, the other guy had a different name. So we, you know, put Cahill on the door, okay. basically. Yeah, so we, we did change the name. But it's interesting how receptive people are. People think that it's really, well, I shouldn't even say this publicly, but <laughs> people think it's really, really difficult to change accounts. I think it's a perceived thing because it, it, it is, it's a lot of work, like, to, you know, if you've been with somebody for a long time, you know, they have your history, they know what's going on. And like, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to find a new person that you would trust. And then, you know, moving things over seems very difficult. In reality, I mean, like, if, if you come to my office and you meet me and you want to work with me, we do the rest, right? Like, we'll, we'll get the background. We'll contact your old accountant if you, you know, if they have some information that we can't get, you know, online or somewhere else. Um I did it three years ago and it was pretty easy. I don't even know if I asked the old guy for anything. Yeah. I mean, I Maybe think like a notice of assessment or something, or you, you can pull that anyway. Exactly. So if, if it's like personal tax, it's, it's very easy. There's actually like almost nothing that has to happen because everything's available online. Like you can go on, on the government website. If, if we get authorization, we can see like 10 years of tax turns on there, you know, and, and lots of other information as well. So we almost don't need the old stuff anymore. And, then, yeah. and that's kind of like new technology that's come in. That's made things a lot easier for newer firms that are, you know, going that direction um, and, and leveraging on technology. Um, okay. So Cahill starts. I'm assuming the practice that you bought was not at the level where you want to it to be. It wasn't just like a purchase and coast. No, no. I mean, so from to that be point, honest, like, I look, yeah, go ahead. I look back and I go like, if that practice was for sale today, like, I don't know if I would buy it necessarily. Like I look back and it was, it was awesome. And it, it, it you know, kickstarted kind of what we have now, but mm-hmm. it, yeah, it definitely needed a lot of work, you know, and, and, and we did, we put a lot of groundwork in there and like, you have to kind of, you know, there's a lot, a lot of the stuff that was being done in the past wasn't really the way I would do it. And then it all like, in terms of the client base, it wasn't really being mined properly. Like in terms of, you know, asking people if they needed extra service and that kind of stuff. That's where we were successful. Like there was a lot of need for extra things that maybe the old practitioner couldn't provide that we could. Hmm. So from, I guess from the point that you purchased that practice, how do you grow from there on out? And in terms of like getting new business, because a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this are like young entrepreneurs. Yeah. And the biggest thing with anyone going into self-employment is how do I get business? How do I prospect? Where's the next deal coming from? Yeah, it's, you know, that's the tough part about any business for sure. Um, I think your, you know, your highest quality clients are going to come from referrals always. That's just, I I think that's kind of, I don't know. What do you find? Well, treating people, treating people really well. And doing a really good job. Yeah. Customer service is number one for sure. Absolutely. So and that the, will always result in It's referral. way easier to retain a client than it is to get a new one. So yeah. do a good job on all the clients that you have. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of number one. Yeah. And then, you know, some referrals will just come naturally. And you do have to kind of ask for them. I don't know. I'm not I'm not like too aggressive about that, but it is nice to put the idea in people's heads. You know, people equate accountants sometimes with doctors where it's like, oh, you're you are taking on new clients? Like of course I am. Like I'm trying to build a business and I want to grow. And like, I, I would be happy to have any of your referrals. Right. Whereas like, you know, like sometimes doctors, Oh yeah, sorry, we're full. We're not taking any new, any new clients. Right. So it's sometimes nice to remind people gently, like we're taking new clients. Like that's, that's a thing we do and we can help you out. 
Um, and it's, it's funny how far that small kind of little comment can go because then people go, oh, great. Okay. If, if I hear about it, I'll, I'll send someone your way. Um, where we've been really successful though, um, which I didn't realize that up front, like how powerful this would be, but just, just online, like, mm. you know, and I know you've, you've done a lot of that too, between social media and just your website and all of that. Um, you know, it used to be yellow pages. Oh, what's, what's somebody <laughs> needs a service with open yellow pages and look in there. Oh, it's accountant. What, a one accounting services, their number, they're in the top yeah. because they're, they're, their name starts with an A and it's a one, right? <laughs> now it's more like, what is your SEO strategy on Google? Like, do you, you know, if someone types in North Vancouver accountant, type it in right now. Look, look who comes up. I did this morning. Did you look it up? Yeah. Who was it? You were number one. Was it, who was number two? Yellow pages. Oh, was it? I think. Yeah. <laughs> Not that it's actual book. <laughs> it's the Yellow Pages website. So but, it's, no, that's a good thing because there's, your competitors are shit. Yeah, not it's, it's interesting, like, in that realm of things. I think it was the fifth thing. one was another person, was another actual firm. Yeah, yeah, and and so we've worked hard on that and just saw, like, there's, there's this little, like, like um, time of opportunity right now. I feel that we can get in there and be number one pretty easily. Like, we haven't, like, we do a lot of good work, but, like, honestly, like, we haven't tried that hard compared to a lot of, like, like, I, I, I bet you real estate's much, much harder, like, to, for SEO. Like, there's a lot of players out there. I, I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong. How many do you know? Do you even know the numbers? Like how many accounting firms would there be in greater Vancouver in greater Vancouver? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. On the North shore, I can tell you there's like maybe like a dozen that kind of like compete with us more or less, but like I would say we're probably the biggest, definitely the most prominent on social media and on Google. Cause um, we have the Vancouver, most employees out there. Yeah. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. <laughs> in greater Vancouver, there's 15,000 realtors. Okay. So like, there's not that many accounts. The yeah. number of uh, yeah, accounting firms. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the number of realtors is just so high that like you have to be good online or else you don't exist anymore. Right. Basically. So I think we do as good a job as anyone or better, but like that is you always have a lot of reviews, a which is focus. nice. Like you have a lot of good reviews. It is huge for your SEO. It's huge. It's huge. If people don't know that, it's huge for your SEO. So one is having Google dot, having a business dot on the map. Yes. Saying that oh, you're a yeah. registered business in North Number Van one. or New yeah. or wherever. It's funny. I didn't even think of that. That's like a no brainer in my it's mind. Huge. But it's, but like you have to do that. Yeah. Like, and then Google reviews is, is huge. So like even and last year we did a thing last year, we did a, an email to any client that we had sold property to in that year we did an email saying like for every google review we get this year or in the next whatever month i think we put time frame on it and every google review we get we're going to donate a hundred dollars to this specific charity or oh, whatever that's cool yeah. yeah i think we did children's wish last year um but one it helps our business two it's a good cause yeah and three it is an excuse to reach out to past clients so like it's a win. that's huge but Google reviews are huge. Yeah. So if you I haven't find, like, if you haven't like come up with a strategy to get more, we've done a couple say, pushes, but I think yeah. that the donation one's good. It, it's, it's, mm. it's a fine line. Cause you can't pay people for reviews and that's kind of corny at the same time. But yeah. like you do need to kind of get it in people's heads of, Hey, like a review is really helpful to us. Do you, you know, do you mind doing that? Right. Totally. And, exactly, and ask for that, a five star review. Because if you put it in their mind that it's a five star, they will do that. More likely than not, you know? Yeah. You have to be on like we found that you have to be honest. So just like asking for reviews, people might get upset with, but just being like, this is the reason we're doing it. It helps our business grow. Yeah. We, we'd like to grow. At, if you are if you were willing to spend five minutes of your time, we're gonna donate a hundred dollars to this charity. Yeah. 
I think the general public doesn't realize how much it helps small businesses to have good reviews because totally. they just see it. Like I think most people and even me in the past would see it as like, oh, if you had a bad experience somewhere, like just warn other people, right? Because you see a lot of more bad reviews than good, like especially with restaurants and things like that, right? It's like you're more likely to leave a bad review than a good one, but you have to be reminded to leave the good one. And if there's a reason to like a donation, I think that's a great idea. I just don't understand who's spending their, their time to write bad reviews. I know. Like, so I, I okay, agree. he had a yeah. bad salad. So what? Maybe, like, <laughs> maybe it was a new chef or like whatever. Just leave it. Don't go back there. That's I've fine. only left one bad review for a restaurant. One. <laughs> really? Only once. Yeah. I ref- I would, will never ever write a bad review ever. I wrote one bad review, and it was I was at this pizza place, and we were supposed to go to uh, like a Whitecaps game. <laughs> and we're like, let's stop in here for some pizza. This would be great. So we order some beer, whatever. Pizza took forever. We we're there for like over an hour. They served our pizza to the wrong table. These people had just walked in. And then they just <laughs> immediately like dug in and ate the pizza. And then we told the guy, like, that was our pizza. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Can I make you a new one? I'm like, no, we've been here for an hour. Like, <laughs> we're not waiting for another pizza. So they deserved a one star on that one. It was it was bad all around. <laughs> Other than that, I agree with you. Because you know what? I, I'm, a, I'm an easy five-star guy. Like, if I go to a small business and I'm seeing that they're, like, really trying hard and they're good, I'll give them a five-star just to help them out because... Like, I know the power of that, you know? I don't know. I like, I don't mind people making mistakes. If yeah, people are trying yeah. and they're like, they're friendly, you're, like that to me is a win. The pizza guys weren't trying that hard and they yeah, weren't that friendly. Fair enough. So. so don't go to, to that. Defend don't myself. go to that pizza place. <laughs> <laughs> Unnamed pizza place. <laughs> uh, social media. I know we had that. Com- was that conversation two years ago? We went out for coffee? Might have been two years ago. Yeah. Might have been. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've noticed the Cahill brand get a lot better. You've yeah. been like consciously putting effort into it. We have, we have. Yeah, definitely. Because I don't know any accounting firms in Greater Vancouver challenge all Greater Vancouver accounting firms to get yeah. on social. I challenge who, them too. Who does it well? I, I don't know of any other ones that do it well. Like, I mean, usually what it is that I see with other firms is like, oh, they might, maybe they hired someone to do something and set it up. So you see a bunch of posts and then it just dies. Yeah. Um, you know, like <laughs> three months, three month thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the podcast thing. I mean, hopefully, you know, knock, knock on wood here. This is, this is going to keep going on. Right. We're, we're past 13. That's a good sign. We're doing a hundred this year. You a hundred? hundred. Wow. You're committed. Love it. We're on episode 20. Seven? We have like four ready to go. So we're probably like 31 or something like that. Yeah, That's anyway. awesome. It's so much fun. You get to talk to sweet people. Yeah. Hopefully I can be I a repeat talk to guest. the most exciting accountant in Greater Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There's a low bar. Very low bar. <laughs> Own it, man. Own it. Social media. What do what you guys want um, to Yeah. So and why I mean, are you making an effort? Well, I, I mean, it's obvious that like social media is, it's not the future. It's now like it, you know, a lot of young people, that's where they look to get their information and, and, and kind of, you know, consume information from that medium versus like, even like before it was like Google. I mean, that's still huge, but I go like social media is even kind of bigger than that almost in a certain way. So you kind of have to have that angle, um, as a, you know, as a business, you have to kind of, you have to be present on there. Um, and like, I, you know, we were talking before we started here, um, about just, I think in the past, you know, people would, use a lot of like email communication, like, Oh, I'm going to send out a mail out to my clients. Right. And I, I think there's a time and a place for that. And I think sometimes it's good to announce certain things. Like there's a, there's a big change in your business. Oh, we've brought on like a new partner. Oh, there's some new staff or, you know, different types of announcements. That's good to do. You don't need to have a weekly email though. 
I think what you need to have is social media where people can go and consume it at their own pace. They can go in and they can follow you. If they want updates every hour, they can get that. If they want updates every week, they can go in once a week. If they want to go in once a year and just browse through it and see that you're relevant and keeping up with things, I think that means a lot to people. Um, especially a prospective client that maybe found you on Google then they look, they click on your website then they look through your social media. They see you're active and updating all of those things. They're like, well, these guys must be good at what they do because they're updating all these different mediums. Right. Um, so I, I just see it as it's just, it's good to stay up to date. And then it's a good way to either reach new audiences or reach your existing audience. Cause a lot of marketing is just reaching your existing clients and reaffirming that the choice they made to work with you was a great choice. And here's why. Well, you were happy with your taxes and hey, we keep you up to date with fun pictures of dogs too. Who knows, right? The, like the goal of any marketing is to create attention. Whether it's your client base, whether it's trying to attract new clients, you need to get their attention. Yep. Where is people's attention? It's on their phones. Yeah, I know. Right? Like I, I laugh at people who do like bus signs and like old school shit. Like no one is looking at your bus sign. They're looking at their phone. If someone's riding on a bus, they're looking at their phone. If someone's in their car, they're looking at a phone. Even the drivers are looking at their phones. Yeah. Right? No one is looking at the bus signs. <laughs> like, stop at a red light like and look now, at the four cars around you. It's three of them are people on their phones. Especially, like, I don't know, in real estate, I think, like, like the bus bench ads. Like, that used to be, like, a big thing. Now it used to be the thing. Now it's more of, like, a... <laughs> Um, I've spent enough on all of the other things and I want to let other realtors know that I own this neighborhood. <laughs> so I'm going to put my face on this bus ad and that's it. That's it. like, it's, it's more just bragging kind of, yeah. I don't know. That's my take on it. <laughs> the, it the non-realtor take. It's interesting. I think it's just really old school. Yeah. Like not many young people do it. It's but just like, even going back though, to my comment of like, sometimes marketing is like aimed at like the people who have already used you. Mm -hmm. So say you had like a really big client in a neighborhood. Wouldn't it be nice to put your face on a bus bench, like right down a street. And then every time you drove down, they'd be like, man, I'm so glad I used Denny. Okay, that but, was amazing. But my, <laughs> for my, no other my reason argument that. to that is he's not going to see it. Cause he's going to be on his phone. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> While he's driving, hopefully not, but, but it is what it he'll is. He'll see right? it. He'll see it. I'm, I'm not, Telling people how I'm to not live saying their it's lives. a good advertising campaign. I'm I don't saying think it's like they should it's probably break the bad. Law. It's money wasted, kind of, but <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Um <laughs> the reason I like social media so much is one, it's super fun. And it pushes me outside of my shy original shell that I was as a kid to show who I am and be myself. It's like a 24-7 online resume, right? So you said it's a good way for past clients to keep up to date with what you're doing. Yeah. 100%. It's your online resume all the time. It's a good way for new clients that hear about you. Or let's say I recommend, Carl, you got to use Jordan Cahill this year. What's the first thing he's going to do? Carl, you should, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first thing he's going to do, though? He's going to yeah, type gonna, Jordan yeah. Cahill into Instagram yeah. and look at your Instagram exactly. feed. Exactly. Right? If he thinks you're boring, he's likely not going to think twice about yeah. it. If he thinks and that's the constant challenge is like being an accountant, like an accounting firm. It's like, how do you stay professional yet relevant and interesting that people actually want to follow you? Right. But I think that, that that's the mindset that is changing. People work with people that they like. Yeah, true. People, people don't want to just see a dude in a suit and tie. I don't even like ties. If someone's wearing a tie, I'm probably going to avoid them. I don't remember the last time I wore a tie. Let's <laughs> put that out there. I don't remember the last time I tucked in my shirt. I tucked in my shirt today. <laughs> but I haven't worn a suit in a long time. 
Probably since the last wedding I went to, whatever that was. Once in a while, I do like wearing suits, but it's very. There's something nice events. about wearing a suit, though. You do feel like I don't know. It gives you a certain feeling. Mm. I can appreciate that. You had a guest on. Was it like one of your first guests? Your your uh, mortgage Sean. broker guy. Yeah. And he loves he loves oh, like suiting up like three piece suit kind of thing. I can respect that. I mean, like that's that's cool. I mean, you have a workplace where everyone like suits up and they're like really professional. Like it, yeah. it gives you a certain vibe. If it's your thing, great. And it's this guy's thing. Like he, yeah. He if loves it's your suits, thing, yeah. like definitely, it's not my thing. And like in our office, we're a little more casual. And I think that's like almost a little unique for accountants, maybe perhaps. Maybe but it's not. attractive to your consumer. Yeah, you got because you're you're you you're showing a personality. I'm not trying to wine and dine, uh, you know, some CEO of a public company downtown. Like that's not my clientele. It's like, you know, it's average guys that run average businesses kind of thing. Right. That Mm -hmm. need, that need professional tax help. Right. That one day will be running the city. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's like GD real estate. We like working with people like us who are young and ambitious and want to keep growing. We like the young family that is moving from a condo to a house. Yeah, my my favorite clients are guys that I can have conversations like like this, you know, like and share some Canadian whiskey. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> this is yeah, this is Canadian, eh? Do you like this one? This is Surrey, Central City. They make it look so um, Scotch-like with the bottle and the cork. It's because Scotch has all the attention. That's why. That's true. Right. We're back to attention. It tastes Scotch-like, but. Single malt Canadian whiskey. I'm sure there's a lot of similarities. It's just not. I don't think I've ever had a single Scotland. malt Canadian whiskey. This is the first. It's good. Good story about this one, actually. I went to the liquor store. There was a gentleman in a beard <laughs> working at the <laughs> liquor store. And I said, I need a good Canadian whiskey. I don't know anything about them. I usually drink scotch. I drink a little bit of Japanese and Irish whiskey, too. And he's like, oh. Just by his reaction alone, oh. I knew I could trust this guy. And so he walks me over to this and he's like, you got to try this one. He's like, hands down, doesn't matter where it comes from in the world. This is the best whiskey under $50. And I said, I don't know if I believe you, but I'm going to take your word for it. Good. It's good stuff. This is really good. For under 50 bucks, it's pretty good. Yeah. I'm into it. I like what you're doing on social media. So a couple things that you're doing. One is the Focus Fridays. Just basically yes. like showcasing your clients, which I think is really cool. I don't know when Small this will be uh, published, but heads up, Danny, Friday. This week? I think so, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Focus Friday. I hope you uh, got some good photos of me. <laughs> so we'll see. Ask Crystal. I don't think my shirt's <laughs> going to be tucked in in any of them. <laughs> uh, I like that. I think it's cool. One, it shows people how much you care about your clients. Yeah. But two, it's just like an extra little marketing tool for them. Well, right? and we use it as a collaboration because like we know everybody's trying to like, you know, cross pollinate a little bit with their, their followers. And it's a really good opportunity to just do that. And, and, you know, we can show our perspective or existing clients. Here's who we work with. And here's who these people are. Like they're real people and um, they're in the community and, and here's what they do. And then, you know, when they repost it on their profiles, hopefully, um, you know, we get a bit of exposure too. So it's a, you know, give and a take kind of thing. Where'd you get that idea from? That's all crystal. That was her idea. Yep. My wife married a smart woman. Yeah. Yeah. She's loving it. She's doing pretty good at the social media here. How long has she been doing it for? Um, she's been taking care of it for the last, uh, probably about a year. Okay. Probably with the last maybe six months, she's gone pretty hard into it. Cause you know, we've, we have pretty young kids, so she didn't have a lot of time before to really 
go full into it. It was just kind of maintenance more or less. Um, but yeah, the last six months or so, she took a few courses actually at, at uh, Cap College. They had these uh, social media marketing kind of night courses and yeah. um, they were really good. Very, very interesting kind of ideas and concepts and a lot of just kind of kind of what we're doing here, like just conversations of like what works, what doesn't work and um, with, with people who have experience in that industry and, and that gave her a couple of good ideas and then just, uh, you know, keeping track of what's out there, right? Like what you do, like just seeing what other people are doing and what works and, and testing different ideas out. Like the Focus Friday was totally just an experimental thing and it just blew up and it's been pretty good. So we'll keep, do you keep doing that. Do you use the social media ad platforms? Pardon me? Do you use the ad platforms? Uh, yeah, so we do, we do, um, Facebook ads like a little bit, not a ton. We don't spend a ton of money on it. It's just to kind of boost it up. Um, we do some, have you had any success with them? Um, with the ads? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's definitely worth the money you spend, but it's like, I wouldn't say it's huge. Like compared to like a, like a Google AdWords campaign, it's, it's a bit different. Um, you're just trying to get out to a certain demographic in a certain area. I would disagree. You disagree? Yeah. Okay. Why would you disagree? What con what, Content are you putting on those ads? Um, I'm not is the it photos. Is it what is it? I couldn't tell you. All right, you should find out. I should find out. I think those so those platforms are just like so cheap for the amount of attention that you get. Again, market any marketing expensive. is attention. It's you very get, inexpensive. You want to get your idea, your business, your whatever in front of as many people as possible. That's the idea of marketing. And it's so cheap to do so. It costs you like 30 bucks and you can get in front of 10,000 people. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. Name one other platform you can do that. So when you do uh, like a post, do you use Facebook mostly or Instagram? So for your ads? They're together now. Well, yeah. Because Facebook bought Instagram. Yeah, I know. I know they're the same. <clears throat> so when you post through Facebook, it posts on both platforms. But then Instagram stories is a separate ad platform. Oh, okay. We've never done the Instagram story ads, I don't think. Those good ones? One. Okay. Interesting. Good to know. Because it's so We cool focus on the Facebook ones. Just again, they're like, they're super inexpensive. And like, you do get a very broad, like you look at the numbers and you're like, well, this makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, it's just, I just find it so cool that you can target the exact individual that you want. It is very Let's cool. So you want self-employed people that live in North Vancouver or Burnaby or, you know, whatever. Yeah. That are between the ages of 30 and 50. Yeah. So cool. Yep. I think, I think there's so much value in them. And I think the creative that goes into those ads is the game changer. So if it's like a photo of your logo and you use that as the ad, not going to work. Super lame. Never going to yeah. work. If it's like you and your dad doing something funny or creative, just like showing your personalities and being like, we love working with young entrepreneurs, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Effective. Yeah, I agree. So it's yeah, some, creative, of our, some of our most way. successful posts are just random. Like either we're at an event somewhere, we're just like a photo of like, hey, the family, we're just hanging out down here, you know, at the shipyards or something like that. You know, boom, that'll get like three times as much as something else that was like engineered to like, you know, try to, you know, attract a certain audience, right? People like people. They do. Yeah. People want to work with people that they like. Yeah. I say that all the time. And like I make a, a really conscious effort on my social media to be as unfiltered as possible. Yeah, actually, so, so one of our recent posts, we, we were up at uh, Cypress skiing and it was like just pouring rain like two weeks ago. Like, And uh, my wife's taking ski lessons right now. Uh, God bless her. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was pouring. And I told her, I'm like, this is like the rainiest day I've ever skied in. So if you can get through this, like this is the worst. 
nobody's out there. So we posted like a funny post about like how rainy it was and um, Cypress retweeted that. And we got mm-hmm. like, there was the most, I think, exposure we had ever gotten or like, or definitely up there. Um, but it's interesting how it's like just a random little post like that can, can really, you know, attract people or just, you know, garner their attention. It's just like the real stuff. It's not the, like someone who is just getting into self-employment and posts a photo of himself leaning on a Ferrari. Like, it's so easy to tell that that's bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like people like the, people like the real factor. So like driving your 1982 Honda Civic to a listing appointment, <laughs> that'd be a good, that's good shit. People understand and can relate to someone who is working their ass off, but definitely not there yet. Kind of thing. Pardon. I think this is like a <laughs> I love late nineties, right? Ninety eight, maybe. <laughs> no, it was like ninety two, I think. But I, I heard it. Uh, it's uh, six feet under now. That thing is it? I think so. Well, I know about two years ago, he texted me. He's like, "Do you know anybody who can, uh, like, replace a clutch in a in a Honda Civic?" So I, I you know, I sent him like two different guys that I deal with that are mechanics. Yeah. And he's like, "Oh, that seems kind of expensive." Okay, I won't do that. He still hasn't replaced the clutch. It's been two years. I'm like, how do you even start going up a hill? So, uh, actually, so funny story. We were when we went with you last time. We went to uh, what was that Steamworks. brewery there? Steamworks. Yeah. So we went up the hill there. You know, a boundary to take a left, yeah. and he stopped. Uh-oh. And he's like, "Yeah, Jordan, I don't know if we're gonna get. I don't know if we're gonna start here. <laughs> no clutch. He had the e-brake going. Like, <laughs> his. So what's wrong with the clutch? It's just completely gone. It's just worn out. Like, <laughs> so it, how does he change gears? Like, it works, but barely. Like, it just <laughs> slips nonstop. Like, if he goes too fast, it just starts slipping. I'm like, I don't even know how it still works. He babies the thing. <laughs> do, you, do you know that's Steve's first car that he ever bought? That's his first, that's his first car. He's only ever had one he's car. He's only ever had one car in his life. And he's in his mid 30s. Late 30s. Late. <laughs> Late 30s. <laughs> that is super impressive. I'm, yeah, it's impressive. I think I've had six. We can all learn a thing or two like from Steve. Ten years. Steve. Oh, Steve's such a Steve. Beauty. Steve is such a beauty. He's a beauty. Uh, Did he so, buy a new? He bought a new computer finally. <laughs> was he still working on his college computer? Yeah, it was like an <laughs> Apple MacBook that he had. I told him he should get a new He's one. In his late thirties. That thing is twenty years old. Yeah. <laughs> the it processing worked. speed on that thing's got to be low. <laughs> it only really, really annoyed my brother Taylor because. For some reason, whenever he would send him PDFs as an attachment, Steve's computer wouldn't open them. <laughs> but it was it was Steve's computer that was the problem. But he kept going like, hey, Taylor, I don't know what you're sending me. This isn't working. <laughs> Speaking of cars, I already have a thing for cars. I love cars. Outside of accounting. <sighs> I have no cars right now. It's very sad. That? It's depressing. Well, I have. Oh, that's why you give the big sigh. I have one. You like working on cars. Yeah, it's fun. What, uh, do you have like a favorite restoration that you've done? Um, well, I have, I have according a, to Steve, I'm getting some of this backstory from Steve, so you can tell me if it's incorrect. Sure. But at one point you were working on five different cars. Is that true? There was a time not that long ago where I, yeah, I, I owned title to five cars <laughs> at one time. Yeah. At one time. Yeah. Where are you storing though? Don't you live in a strata? Yeah. Where are you storing these things? Well, that's the problem. So I moved to the North Van. There's no storage here. Like, there's nothing, right? So I had to get rid of all of them. But <laughs> when I was living in Burnaby, like, there's so many um, extra parking stalls down in the basement because it was, like, an older Strata. So I just rented, like, I had, I, I rented five stalls <laughs> for, at 20 bucks a month. It was cheap. 
Um, so I still have. I have. Where a, are you working on them though? I'd work on them down there <laughs> in the parking. Okay. Yeah. I sh- well, look at my Instagram. Have you seen that? Recently? Well, not recently. The old. You can go back in time. Okay. Um, I have a a '97 Jeep TJ that I basically like completely rebuilt in my underground parking lot. It, it was a mistake because the the floor is not level down there, and I like. <laughs> When I say redid, like I cut the whole suspension off the frame and like redid the whole thing and like welded it up in the underground parking lot. <laughs> and uh, anyways, I rolled it over and it's kind of broken now. It's still underneath there. Still stored. We'll see. We'll fix it one day. The Strato is okay with. <laughs> well. You shooting sparks everywhere. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Or you were Define okay. Well, yeah, you I was, I was strata. on strata. There yeah. you go. That's why. There's like four levels of parkades. It was the very, very lowest area, so no one really went down there very often. <laughs> you specifically found who it's owned the spot in the very back corner? Yeah. And approached them and said, Well, it was all yeah. rental. It was all rental, like down there. Oh, it was okay. just like, it was the strata owned it, so you could just rent them. So I rented the one spot in the very back. So, What's the coolest thing? Is that the coolest thing you restored? Um, I, I wouldn't call it restored. It was just sort of like customizing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a rat rod? Uh, yeah. So it was like, you know, it was a Jeep and then like, you know, it, it had a four cylinder engine originally and then that blew up. So I put the V8 inside there. And then, uh, when I put, did that, then it broke everything else because the motor was too powerful. <laughs> so then I replaced the rest of it <laughs> basically. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty cool truck. It's very fast. Way, way too much power for that small of a, of a vehicle. Where did you use it? Pardon me? Where'd you use it? Where did I use it? Yeah. I'm assuming you're not driving to work in that thing. Uh, that was my daily driver for really? like quite a long time. Yeah, when I was like, um, not when it was in that shape. Like it was when it was in like original kind of style. And then, yeah, I, you know, I bought it pretty stock. Like it was, you know, like a four cylinder Jeep with small little tires on it. And then I put some big tires on it. Drove that. Like I was working in Surrey for a while. I just, <laughs> you know, fit in perfectly fine driving out there in, in that um, every day. But uh I don't know. I've owned that for a while. Just kind of tinkered on it. Be nice to get back into it. I haven't touched it in like a year. Just sitting there. Like I said, I rolled it over and it's got a shattered windshield. <laughs> like you, you should see it. Actually, it's pretty bad. The, the windshield's shattered. There's no like roof on it anymore, and it's like just sitting in the underground <laughs> parking lot, collecting dust, basically. You didn't put a tarp over it. No. <laughs> I wheeled it in there and just left it. Like May 2017. It's been sitting there since then. Funny. Yeah, we were uh, before we started recording. We were talking about the landlord life. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, we were. Uh, I work with a lot of people that are thinking about purchasing a first investment property. Yeah. It's a glorified thing to own an investment property. It's not as prestigious and fun as you think it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to share. It's a your, very very your pros long... and cons of being a landlord. You have to have a long term view. I mean, like totally. to be honest, I mean it's like anything with real estate. Like you know, if it's going to be an investment, especially you kind of have to have like a ten year commitment because you don't know what's going to happen. Like I don't know, you can't expect to be able to flip it very very soon. Like yeah. maybe in some markets you can, but I don't know. My mentality with with uh, rental properties has been like just you know. Go back to the accounting side, work out the cash flow, make sure that works. And then just, you know, if you're able to stay in it for the long term, then, you know, it will make sense. You look back in time, um, it might be naive to think that, you know, the you know historical results will um, indicate future performance. Yeah. But I think, you know, 
if you can make things happen for a, a long, long enough time, you will do well in that market. But, um, so what your question was just sort of like what advice for somebody who's getting yeah, into it for cons. the first time. Yeah. Pros and cons. yeah. I mean like the pro is like, it's exciting. I mean like, come on, you get, buying property is awesome. Like mm-hmm. I'm addicted to buying property. Let's be honest here. <laughs> so am I. It's, it's fun. That's what, As you know, so am I. <laughs> you share the same excitement. I mean, you got Carl over here. It's the, First time landlord coming up pretty soon. Coming up quick. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, the pros are definitely like, you know, yeah, you get bragging rights, right? I mean, come on. You know, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. You know? <laughs> um, I think it, it, a long-term investment standpoint, yeah, definitely very, very good thing to do, I think. Um, if you're young, if you can if you can figure out how to get an investment property and work that financing, talk to Steve, you know. Uh, especially if you can find something that's like cash flow neutral absolutely yeah someone's just paying down your mortgage every month yeah i think it's it's foolish to get into a position where like you're going to be cash flow negative i think you know you have to make sure oh. it's like as well okay let's <laughs> what different people, I'm, I'm talking to the you know <laughs> the average like very risk averse like like you know young person our age that that you know maybe has a bit of extra income or a bit of savings that they were thinking of investing in real estate like you know, real estate is, is very commonly like it's a leveraged investment. Like you're going to borrow money and then you're going to, you know, buy this place. You're not going to buy it in cash. I'm sure at least we aren't like, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> Definitely not me. You know, you have to have somebody like an accountant or, or, you know, somebody to help you run those numbers to make sure that you're going to be cash flow neutral at least. And, and just also have a bit of a contingency that, you know, cause things do go wrong. They will like, it will never be the ideal situation of like, oh yeah, it'll just run perfectly and there'll be no repairs. There'll be no problems. Yeah. The place will never flood. Like, you know, you'll never hear from your tenants. You'll never hear from your tenants yeah. about broken toilet flushers. And usually if you haven't heard from your tenant in three months, they're, they're probably growing weed. Like, exactly. To be honest. <laughs> so you need to and check now it's out. okay. It's legal. So you're happy if they are now before it used to be a problem. Like, you know, um, uh, yeah, but you know, once you get into it, it's, it's funny how like, you know, the, the, the sexiness, wears off you you close the deal you're like yeah i'm a landlord this is amazing they're like these are collecting right you're like well this is boring yeah. like but they say the best investments are the boring investments it really is it's true um you know hopefully you don't hear from your landlord um very much but yeah the the, the negatives i mean we can go into kind of the, the story i was telling <laughs> before we started the the podcast here um i have tenants uh it's two girls and they they rent a, a two-bedroom place that i own out, out near Burnaby there and uh they're, they're great tenants. They, you know, they, they pay the rent on time. They're very, very nice people. And, uh, they've been there for two years, but it's, it's pretty, pretty hilarious renting to two younger women. And, um, you know, they don't have the, the male influence to help fix things. Maybe sometimes it's kind of, it's interesting. Like, you know, tenant selection, maybe this is like one of those kind of criteria you take into account. So I get a call or I get a, an email the other day, like, Oh, the, the dishwasher's broken. I'm like, okay, well, like what happened? Is it flooding? Like what's, what's going on? Like, Oh no, no, no. Like we got up in the morning and it just wouldn't turn on. So I emailed them back. I said, well, you know, and I was very specific actually. I was like, cause I know them. I, I was, it was like a 10 step process of how to basically go to the breaker box and flip the switch <laughs> for the breaker and see if that does anything. I get an email back about four hours later. Like, okay, yeah, the dishwasher works now. Don't worry about it. It's like, kind of funny right you know these things that are obvious to homeowners or people that are responsible for these things like you know um 
just never been they've never been in that position where they've had yeah. to maintain themselves exactly kind of so sometimes you do get queries or, or questions about things that you think are obvious or that you know should be kind of the tenant's responsibility but you still get involved in that and you know i've been pretty lucky that my tenants have all been pretty good so um i'm I'm okay with the the questions like that. I get, you know, I've gone out there and helped them with different issues where I go, it's probably actually their problem, but I like them and they pay their rent. So I'll go help them with that. And yeah. I prefer to err to that side of, you know, if you have good people that are there, it's, it's like employees too. Like, you know, if you have good employees, good people that you work with, you're always going to go to the side of just helping them out and, and, and being a good person that way. And, and even if maybe it's not expected or, you know, the, the norm to do that, I'd, I'd rather err to that side. I am in no way a handy person at all. <laughs> and I remember uh, I bought this property in 2016. So I had a tenant in there right away. Like a couple months in, I can't remember what was not working, but something wasn't working. Maybe the lights in one of the bedrooms or their TV wasn't turning on or something. So there was an electrical problem. And so they asked, they're like, can you come over and have a look? I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? I probably know less about electrical than you. <laughs> like talking to the tenant. <laughs> And so I go over and I'm like, okay, it's living room. The first thing I look at was the breaker and I just like flip it back on TV works or whatever it was working. I was like, ah, I feel like a savior. (laughs) (laughs) So you feel like this, like, but at the same time I'm teaching myself, which is cool because I've never lived in a house by myself. So I've never really had the maintenance of a house. I've had condos, but not houses. And so it's just like a different ball game. And I was telling you earlier about the (laughs) the toilet flusher. Yeah, yeah. text from a tenant a couple maybe a couple months ago like the toilet the toilet handle is broken i was like okay so i was in new ass close by that day anyway so i go by i'm like oh it's just the chain like the chain broke and they're like yeah exactly i'm like you know to replace this thing is like five (laughs) dollars like okay and so I go grab one and put it back on. Again, you feel like, oh, I'm a handy guy, but like all I did was change a toilet flush. <laughs> anyway, so there's, but at the same time, when you immediately get the text, you're like, oh shit, what am I going to have to pay for I this? I know, right? yeah. There was uh, in that house, the crawl space is dirt and the drain tiles aren't very good. So in the winter, when it rains really heavily, there's water in the crawl space, which is normal. <laughs> But last year there was a smell from the water sitting there going up into the house. So, so I had to gross. Like, it's, a, it's a bit <laughs> gross, yeah. So I had, the crawl space is gross. The smell wasn't that bad. Sounds like you're a bit of a slumlord. Yeah. <laughs> I treated it properly, okay? So you treat someone, your tenants right, though. I had someone go. They choose to live there. Exactly. I had someone go in that uh, like a couple of days later when the water drained. <laughs> crawled in the crawl space and like spray foamed insulation underneath which basically like vacuum seals it so the smell can't go up anymore that sounds expensive yeah it was like 3500 bucks so be prepared I know a good spray foam guy if you ever need him again do you okay my brother builds houses for a living so I just like yeah you know insulation so I just use that guy 3500 sounds cheap actually it's not a big area it was like 1100 square feet or something so it wasn't that big anyway be prepared to answer your phone a little bit when you have tenants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Silly questions, yeah. serious problems, all of the above. Just be prepared. Yep. Sewage backups, floods, different things. They can happen pretty easily. Especially when they're single family houses. Condos a little bit more easy, but 
Depends yeah, but on condos how are like stacked too, though, right? So I mean, like if there's a problem, the it can, can come down to you, yeah. or your tenant can cause problems for people below you. Yeah, make sure you have insurance. Get good insurance; it's cheap. Exactly. Because yeah. uh, okay, we got to start wrapping up. The last thing I really wanted to end with was usually I ask people to make the final statement of the podcast. With you, because of your knowledge, I want, and because of our demographic being a lot of like self-employed people, uh, a few. Tax tips for self-employed people. Tax tips. Yeah. All right. Or things to be aware of or extra things that maybe can save you money on taxes or whatever. Yeah. I think, I mean, like generally for anybody self-employed, there's like a lot of things you can write off. Like the general idea is, you know, anything you can justify that you've incurred to earn revenue or potentially earn new revenue, you can write off. So if you, that's kind of the standard, right? Yeah. So some people don't realize that you can write off like, you know, your home office or your, you know, your, your vehicle for certain things and, um, or, or how to do that. So, you know, we help a lot of people with that. Um, when you get kind of into, you know, making a bit more money, um, you know, there's a lot of realtors out there that are, that have done quite well in the last few years. Sometimes incorporation makes sense because, you know, you know, a lot of what we deal with is, is personal tax, but then mm-hmm. some of it's corporate as well. So it's sort of the questions between when do I incorporate? Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of factors that go into that. So that's that's something that um, um, we help a lot of people out with. Um, and there can be significant tax savings in incorporation depending on what you're wanting to do in the future. If you're self-employed and you could earn your money through a corporation, that's, that's really good. Um, it, it helps with... You know, being able to invest in rental properties or, or different types of things uh, going forward. Um, yeah, I don't know. What other tax tips are there? Those are two that I was expecting to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are two things that me and you have talked about quite a For quite sure. A I mean, like, those are those are two. They're pretty broad, too. I mean, like, everybody's situation is very unique, too. And that's that's the thing that I want to stress to people is, like, you know, if, if you have questions, definitely just reach out. I mean, I'm... I'm one, I'm, you know, I'm bad for it. I give a lot of free advice. Like <laughs> it's kind of almost one of my marketing things where if people have questions, I will, I'm more than happy to have a conversation with people and to see, Hey, what's your situation? There's been many conversations I've had where it's like, Hey, should I incorporate? And it's like, well, the answer is no. And this is why. And you know, it's in my best interest if somebody incorporates cause it's a new client for me. But at the same time, you got to make sure it's, you know, the right situation for them. Are they going to save money by doing this? Or is there going to be more work and more sort of like administrative cost um, in doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I mean, a lot of people for, don't understand even the costs that go involved in a corp or it, that are involved in a cor- incorporating. Yeah. It can get kind of expensive and it, you know, that's, that's part of it where you go, you have to have, you know, it's not about how much money you make necessarily. It's about how much money you're saving. Like how much money are you making in a year that you don't need to spend on your regular living expenses? That's the biggest equation to it because at the end of the day, like, you know, to incorporate a new company is going to probably cost you like two grand with the lawyers. Then it's probably going to cost you like two to three grand with your account every year, depending on what your situation is. And then there could be some other stuff too. There's some planning well, that goes in. a lawyer to hold your books. Yeah, exactly. So every, every year, year they're a few hundred dollars or five hundred dollars bucks. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like there's, there's sort of an ongoing cost to it. It's more complicated, but it does give you more options where like, you know, um, the corporate tax rate went down this year. Like if you're a small business and you make up to 500,000 net income is down to 11 and a half percent this year, which is great. It used to be 12% and then it was 12 and a half before that. So it keeps going down. Um, so there's, there's very few ways in the world that you can like avoid taxes completely, but there's a lot of ways that you can defer it. So we always focus on with that, you know, 
with the corporation, you can pay that low rate and you can defer taxes for a long time. So if you leave it in the company and you don't take it out personally and pay, you know, if you're now and your personal taxes have gone up a lot too in the last couple of years. Um, you know, it's like 51% or somewhere around there for, you know, if you're in the top it's tax really bracket, high. it's ridiculous. It's over, it's, you know, more than half of your money is going to the government if you're over $200,000 basically now. Um, so if you have a corporation at that level, it makes a ton of sense. The difference between 50% and 11.5% is huge. So you can take that money and invest it other places in the meantime. Yes, when you take it out and you want to go buy a fancy boat or a house or something like that for yourself, <laughs> you have to pay those taxes. But if you're not wanting to do that right now, you can defer that to later on, right? So, um, the, yeah, the biggest piece of advice I give people is usually tax deferral. And then sometimes it's to do with like, I didn't know I could deduct that. But I mean, that's rare. Usually it's like the other way around. I want to deduct everything. What can I not deduct? It's like, well, okay, you can't deduct like your, your suit dry cleaning because like, you know, everybody else who works downtown has to do that too. It's a personal expense. Sorry. Like, I wish I could say yes, but you can't, you know? Um, I've tried to uh, write off clothing. <laughs> clothing, I, like technically, and it's funny, this comes from my CRA days, like working in, in, down in, in uh, the government. It's like, if people write off clothing, only like actors can do that. Apparently, if you're an actor and you own like 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 your clothing or your your costumes, technically that's the only clothing you can write off. Not even work clothes, like work boots and all that. Technically, you're not supposed to. Interesting. A lot, okay. of, a lot of people do though. Um, Can't end it on that note. That's super boring. No, I still I have one more story. So. Jordan, I've been working with Jordan for three or four years, maybe. Yep. Uh, <laughs> this goes back to your free advice, actually. Last uh, March, maybe. Okay. Uh, was buying that property on Second Street. Right. Yeah, yeah. And there was so many different questions because the only way we could get financing, because both my partner and I are very over leveraged, <laughs> is if we put in our personal name. So, like, it it was really cool to see how responsive how quickly you were able to get back to me with like answers on how to set it up properly how to make it tax efficient i didn't even know this thing called a bear trust existed right so you like gave, gave me advice say talking to your lawyer about setting up one of these so that even if it's in your personal name it actually means that you're holding it for your yep. corporation so there's just so many things in the accounting world to defer tax and yeah. to save money on tax and to save money on investing through incorporate incorporating that I didn't know about that was really cool. I'm sure not most accountants would not be able to get back to me that quickly, especially in March, which is like the busiest <laughs> time of year. So thank you from that perspective, but also just like a shout out to the Kales because uh, one of the, the, so ask Steve, Steve and Jordan are pretty good friends who's been on the podcast before. And at the top of his email of like introduction or some points about Jordan was like best customer service by any accounting firm in greater Vancouver by far. <laughs> and he gave wow. me like a few examples about it, but uh, like reading that through that email, talking about customer service, like that immediately popped in my head, how quickly you were able. And I think we spent like 30 minutes on the phone, literally in your busiest month of the year, which was cool. You know what? Like you bring up a good sorry, by the way, because I wasted no, a lot of that's time. fine. <laughs> like, here's the thing. Like, um, I'm passionate about real estate too. Like mm -hmm. I love real estate. So it's like, I was probably like, you probably got me and like, and I was like, Oh, this is, a, this is interesting. Like I yeah. love this. Right. So, um, one thing I really, really appreciate is people who can just get deals done. Like there's, 
there's very few people in the world that can just that have that mentality of like we got to get this done how are we going to do it like you know what i mean like you you know you have a good client you know this deal is good it's just a matter of navigating that and i go i think of two people like denny you're you're a guy who gets deals done i know that i know that about you steve steve's another one of those guys he always gets the deal done and i guess i do too based on steve's comments but like (laughs) Like I have this thing of like, if there's a deal on the table, we got to get it done. Like, it's just, it's one of those things. If I, you know, and you get a gut feel, you know, when it's going to work like, and you also know when it's not going to work. And those are the ones you maybe just, you have to put aside, but at the same time, like, um, I really appreciate people who can get stuff done. And Steve's one of those guys. So like I had that feeling of like, people when, you were, when you were in the middle of that deal, I was like, this deal has to get done. Like, what do we got to do to get this done? And we, I think we looked at like doing it corporately at first, cause that made the most sense. And again, it goes back to the whole tax deferral thing, where if you can mm-hmm. use corporate dollars to buy, you know, a, a rental property or a investment property, we have more money to work with there at the corporate level. Yeah. In this case, it's like, well, with, you know, and it's a delicate balance between finance and accounting where you go like, yeah, tax wise, it'd be great to get it done this way. But I know how banks work. They look at you, they go, a corporation, that's just a facade. We don't, we don't care about that. If, if, he def- if the corporation defaults on a loan, we can't go after anybody. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, if it's in your personal name, we can go after a person. That's a little bit easier. So I, they prefer to go out. You know, the, it's yeah. easier to finance that way. I think one of the other things and the reason we wanted to do personal with this bear trust that I still don't really understand, but I, we got to set that up still. (laughs) We do. Well, I mean, it's, it's, we got to file some stuff. We'll talk about that. (laughs) Let's make a note of that. (laughs) (laughs) We got time. We got time. Uh, is that the corporate, if you're buying property in a corporate name, the interest rates are much higher. At the time, the interest rates were like over 5%. And in the personal name, it was like 3.2 or something. Exactly. So that's what it comes down to too. Because like the bank looks at it and they go, we lend based on risk. Like right. like all bankers do is they assess risk. So the, so if they're lending to a corporation, they go, well, the risk is higher because there's a chance that we could take you to court if you don't pay. And it's a company and, and they just throw it out. And we can't come after anybody. If it's in your personal name, like personal bankruptcy is a big thing. So like mm-hmm. you're going to be more likely to pay that than if it was in your company, even if you personally guaranteed it and all this other stuff, right? So you will definitely get a better lending rate if you borrow personally. And I see a lot of people do that. And we can set it up in a way where everything is in your personal name for legal purposes, and then it's in trust for your company. So there's just a few things to sign and basically file with the government to say, you know, for tax purposes, you know, we're treating this thing in your company, but you know, for the purposes of financing and, uh, you know, legal title, it's held personally. So, um, do that quite a bit, actually. It was a good learning experience for me. Yeah. Now I know when talking to clients too, that this is an option. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I mean, like I have, I have a few properties that are like in that position as well. Um, you know, it's not always nice having all the debt in your personal name, but like at the same <laughs> yeah. time, it's like, well, it's cheaper. So I might as well do it that way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I got to go to a listing appointment. All right. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on. It's good to get you a little bit better. Yeah. I'd love no. to grab a beer sometimes. Likewise. Soon. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Maybe after tax season because I know be you're a... just like ramping up into it right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe it can be a multiple podcast person here too. Ooh. Much? Is that asking too much? <laughs> I wasn't that interesting, was I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jordan, thanks for coming on. Thanks, uh, I'm sure we're going to chat soon. Have a beer. Awesome. Sounds good. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Hit me up on Instagram. Love to hear your feedback. Denny.duma. Hey, Hill CPA. There you go. Yeah. <laughs>